0: Hi everyone, it's me again. It's Ollie. Uh, I've have the absolute pleasure of joining you on this journey, um, going through the Book of Ruth, and I'm going to be talking to you today about Ruth chapter two. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Ruth as a Moabite, so as a foreigner um, in a foreign land. Um, talk a little bit about the introduction of our new character Boaz to the story, um, and Boaz as a bit of a follower of the law. Then. Talk a little bit about Boaz actually going further than the law and further than you um, would have to um, in order to support Ruth and her mother in law. And finally, try and highlight a little bit of what that kind of means to us. Before we get started, um, you can't really go to a church without somebody at some point mentioning Bible in the year. Well, it's kind of the wrong time of year to be talking about Bible in the year. It's normally about January, everyone kind of gets into it. Then, probably about February, or if you're lucky, March, when everyone gives up. And every time I talk about Bible in the Year, I hear the same story from most people, which was, I got as far as Leviticus, and then I decided, yeah, enough was enough. Um, and it's always something that strikes me as quite funny. There's something in about Leviticus, about this kind of legal um, book filled with laws that we really struggle to kind of chew through on a daily basis. And looking into it and kind of reading around the subject, um, a lot of the Old Testament, particularly the legal documents, were written and um, kind of maintained by a group of people who could read and write, and they had significance to a certain area of of Jewish culture. Specifically, um, that was often priests. So we look at some of the laws around Israel at the time through the lens of um, priests and people who would be engaged in specific ritual around um, everyday faith. And for that reason, we lose a little bit of the what real everyday Jewish faith would have been like in the Old Testament. For that reason, some of these kind of big legal documents in the Bible can feel kind of out of reach from our daily experience. They can feel a little bit out there, and um, maybe a little bit esoteric. Um, a little bit arcane compared to some of the stuff that we we tackle on a daily basis. I absolutely love my Bible, and I spend a fair amount of time reading it, and through the years I've been fascinated with what a Christian field guide would look like, and what it would look like to create guidance on some of these things that perhaps are a little bit out of reach. Um, I played around on the idea with talks in the past of doing... What would a field guide to prayer look like? And some of these books actually exist, um, and they're they're really, really good, kind of taking what we see in the Bible and the prayer life in the Bible and actually trying to translate that into our everyday lives. What would a field guide to prophecy look like? Because actually sometimes what we call prophecy in our everyday lives is very different to what we read about in the Bible, and actually to understand the prophets and how they prophesy and what that means. But what about, in the modern world, a field guide on how to treat foreigners? What would that look like? Now, it could be considered controversial, right? There's a lot in the news about um, people seeking refuge in the United Kingdom and foreigners in general. But we mustn't shy away from the fact that actually some of these legal books um, in the Bible talk about foreigners a lot. Um, And there's a lot of information in there about um, how non-Jews should be treated. So I'm hoping as I go through Ruth 2 to hit on some of that, some of the significance of foreigners in the Bible, the significance of the non-Jews, of which Ruth was one. I mentioned this previously, but I'm going to break this up into some chunks, um, mainly to help me out with recording, because if I make a mistake, it'll be easier to cut a chunk in. Um, But the first bit is a talk about uh, Ruth as a Moabite and some of the significance around this at the time. I'm going to talk about Boaz as a follower of the law, and actually somebody who understands his um, his uh, kind of Torah really well, and understands the law that's been presented him really well. But equally, I'm going to talk a little bit about Boaz going further than the law, and what that actually means, um, whether he's actually living out a real-world example of a field guide, of an application of the law that we can learn from. And finally, I'm going to try and summarise and highlight what this means for us. Um, So stick with me. Um, It's my job to keep you entertained. So if you do get bored and wander off, I've only got myself to blame. But um, hopefully it'll be entertaining enough to keep you around. Hello. Um, You survived the introduction, so that's good. I've still got you here. (laughs) I'm going to talk a little bit about Ruth as a Moabite. Um, I realise that I haven't read the verse yet, so do bear with me. I'm going to jump into it um, as we go through. Um, But first off, I just want to set the scene, if you like, um, as Ruth as a Moabite woman. So when I read Ruth 2, I'm hit by this real world example of a foreigner living in a land that's strange. It had different customs and different religions. And I'm hoping as we talk through this, um, I can highlight some of the key Um, feelings and perhaps dangers, that real-world dangers that Ruth was in by committing to this um, uh, support of her mother-in-law. We know Ruth to be a Moabite, which uh, in Israel, early Israel, would have made her a foreigner, um, would have made her a non-Jew, and that meant she would have, have occupied a certain status in society. However, it's more than that. The significance of being a Moabite is probably a little bit more than just anyone from a neighbouring land, and that's because to a contemporary listener, somebody who was listening to this story around about the time Ruth was being spoken about orally, they would likely have only known, or possibly would only really have known of Moabites through um, a reference in Numbers 25. that specifically states them to be Baal worshippers and enemies of Israel. So reading then uh, Numbers 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. And this isn't the only reference to uh, foreigners being enemies of Israel and actually to be harshly dealt with. There are numerous themes in the Old Testament legal books about keeping God's people holy, and this often meant keeping them apart and keeping them removed from so that they could stay in service of the law. So Exodus 15 says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for they will prostitute themselves to the gods and sacrifice to them, and they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods... They will lead your sons to do the same. There are actually more references like this. So in Deuteronomy 7, 3 to 4, it states, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. So to a contemporary listener then, to Ruth, when we start talking about Ruth 2, um, this is the kind of thing they're going to understand about um, women from other cultures, but particularly um, Moabite women in this regard. And so then it can be really um, easy if you are kind of blinkedly looking through the Bible and specifically trying to pull out um, references that it can seem xenophobic or anti-foreigner. And there is a rhetoric that could be had for for pulling those details out about keeping god's people holy and apart from others and yet that isn't the full story the reason why um, we struggle with books uh, the early books of the bible and, and some of the kind of legal documents within them it isn't clear-cut it is complicated there is a lot going on here and of course there's another side to this coin some of the Old Testament's very specific on how we should treat foreigners and how foreigners should be treated in Israel. For example, Exodus 23 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus nineteen, nine to ten says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now this is a verse that was so important it's repeated in Leviticus later on actually in Leviticus 23, 22. Now this is pretty important because as we'll see later on Boaz quite literally follows this interpretation of the law. And then in Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, um, we hear, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So then we've heard a lot about um, the two sides of the coin, if you will, about God, instructing his people um, to stay apart from others, particularly when it came to other faiths and other religions. But then equally how um, Exodus and Leviticus are very clear that people from foreign lands should be treated with respect, actually akin to a native-born, mainly using the example of how the Israelites themselves were treated when they were in Egypt as a real message for how they should treat others. So it's time to start jumping into the verse itself. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit of that now. I'm going to read Ruth 2, verses 1 to 10, as we introduce, in my mind, a wonderful uh, character of this story, um, Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elmenek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elmanek. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather them the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field when the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you go thirsty, go and drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? So what does this tell us, specifically about Boaz? Well, at first glance, despite Moses himself in Exodus uh, condemning Moabite women specifically, Boaz appears to be quite expertly following the law laid down in Leviticus. Not only that, but his field hands and household, knowing him, also seem to have acted according to the law. At the start of the story, Boaz wasn't even there, Yet his field hands, the people who work the field, seem to have been following exactly what we read earlier in Leviticus. This may seem really trivial, right? Um, It's written in Leviticus, people were doing what it said. Why bother reading into this? However, it would seem, from reading between the lines, that this is far from common in the world that Ruth inhabits. In fact, twice in Ruth 2, Alone, there is reference to Ruth possibly being harmed by people who work the fields. I really do believe this is a personal story, but also one that illustrates the application of the law and what it means to real-life individuals. Ruth is no longer just a nameless foreigner or another or some group of people, um, and it's no longer a hypothetical case to be studied. It's a real one, filled with real characters who are trying to do real things. Knowing the vulnerability that Ruth is in only further marks out the courage that she had to support her mother-in-law in in this strange land that she finds herself in. And also knowing the lack of respect that men seem to have for a lone woman in this culture, particularly foreigners, only further highlights Boaz's, Boaz's nature. When Ruth speaks to him, uh, and specifically in verse 10, she says, uh, it says, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Well, at this Boaz could have simply said, um, It's what the Lord's commanded me to do, um, and that's the end. But he doesn't. We're going to pick up the story again in verse 11 and read what happens for the rest of the chapter. Boaz replied, I've been told all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have now come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered us some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her... Gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrashed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ether. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over when she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her where did you glean today where did you work blessed be the man who took notice of you then ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she'd been working the name of the man i worked with today is boaz she said the lord bless him naomi said to her daughter-in-law he was he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead she added this man is our close relative he's one of our guardian redeemers then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest had finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And then we have a, a pretty beautiful story of um, how Boaz reacted to Ruth in a way that kind of went beyond his um, duty as a God-fearing man. Uh, I know this story evolves from there, and I'm really looking forward to um, how others tell the rest. But I like to think when this particular chapter was told to Jews of the day, that they not only saw the beginning of a love story, but also parallels to their own captivity in Egypt. You see, they too had been foreigners in a foreign land, um, and they celebrated this story every single year. It was part of their identity as God-fearing individuals, and really at the root of a lot of their own laws concerning how they deal with strangers and, and foreigners as well. But also, there's something much subtler in there that Boaz was saying, I think. While the Israelites had been captives in Egypt, Ruth had given up her homeland freely. And while the Israelites had stayed true to their own community in a strange land as a group together, Ruth had actively pursued God into danger, away from her own community. Boaz was true to the law and a kind man to the living and the dead, but yet he'd been taught the law and probably lived in relative comfort. Ruth had had little book learning or kind of verbal learning of God and yet shown more honour and devotion in her love of Naomi and the God that she followed than many of the so-called Israelites who would lay their hands on defenceless strangers. Um, Obviously, we heard again in verse 22 the reference to potential harm that Ruth was under. Boaz was raised to fear God in a land that feared God. Ruth had chosen to fear God in a land that was dangerous and cruel. In that moment in verse 11, I like to think that Boaz saw something in Ruth. A deeper connection, a devotion to God that mirrored his own despite the world of differences between them. Though the paths that got them there were vastly different, they both shared a a loyalty that surpassed those around them. When Boaz returned home from his trip to Bethlehem, he would have had no idea that his daily devotion to God would have led him to meet, potentially, the love of his life. And that would set up a course of events far greater than he imagined. So as well as being, um, well, a beautiful story, what does this actually all mean to us? In the chapter, we were introduced to Boaz, a kind man who, by all accounts, is a devout follower of the law. Through his devotion to God's plan for his life, he becomes instrumental in the redemption of a woman who is given everything to serve God and to save her mother-in-law. It reminds us of our God-given duty to treat strangers well and foreigners of those of other faiths with respect and dignity. And also it shows us the exciting, intriguing path that opens up for us when we do follow the will of God. Boaz did not go looking for Ruth. She quite literally showed up on his property. But also stories like this remind us that the laws of the Old Testament are not quite as distant as they might seem at first glance. The Jews of the day won their freedom as God led them in a slave revolt. This was deeply ingrained in their culture, and much of the early Old Testament seeks to remind them of that fact. And this is good, because, to be honest, they had a habit of forgetting. But I think, to be honest, we do too. I like to think that following Boaz's example in verse 2, we have a sort of field guide on how we should treat those strangers and foreigners amongst us. We should remember that our God is a God who liberates slaves. And seeks to defend disemplaced peoples but also that devotion to him isn't always traveling into danger thousands of miles from home it could simply be showing up every day and doing what's right well that's kind of my interpretation of um of chapter two of ruth and i say my interpretation but really it's kind of reading around the subject and using other people's interpretation more than my own. But um, I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you stayed tuned to the end, um, hopefully you noticed the shirt colour change. That was just to make sure you switched on. (laughs) Um, But with all of that, um, I'm just going to pray for us and then um, we'll go our separate ways. Lord God, thank you for this amazing example of Boaz, um, and this is an amazing example of Ruth, um, travelling into danger thousands of miles away from home. I thank you that in your words you give us a blueprint of how you would like us to live our lives, and that while it may seem really distant and esoteric at first, that you do give us the keys to help unlock some of that. Lord God I pray you guide us um, as we talk to the stranger amongst us whoever that may be and the foreigner amongst us whoever that might be and the person of the faith just um, with your spirit Lord guide us in our words guide us in our actions um, and allow us to be true um, beacons of your word and ambassadors of your word here on earth today Amen Thank you for listening everybody Have a wonderful week Looking forward to seeing you all again